But what is the leader responsible for? He's responsible for the team, but not for the results that the team, the content that it produces. The whole team is responsible for that, which also includes the leader somehow. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. As industries across the board continue to transform, we're not only changing the work we do every day, but also how we work. Without the right dynamic, culture, and leadership structure, a team can fall apart pretty quickly. So improving the way we work is often just as important as the work itself. This is a practice referred to as organizational development, and it's playing an increasingly essential role in corporate structures everywhere. Today's guest is a transformational facilitator and leader, and he's the managing director of the Ministry Group, an agency founded in Hamburg, Germany. We sat down today to talk about how do we reach our full potential, improving the way we work as a team and as individuals. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, David, for joining today. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So we've done 30-odd or so of Transform It Forward, and they, they tend to work down a, a, one, of, one of a few paths. They are either some sort of internal company transformation, or they are an industry business model transformation. And we talk a lot about things like culture and change management, and the patterns are really, really clear. Uh, but very rarely do we talk about the human. Right. The, the people that actually make it happen, who are, you know, the, the new processes applied to and the new outcomes are defined for. And you've got kind of a really interesting perspective on the importance of the human in the transformation. I thought I would start there. When did you get involved with ministry and, um, and maybe just set the table for us a little bit about that? Oh, I got in, involved with ministry back in 2004, or I was called by one of my now partners to come and take over the development part. And it was the case that we were already colleagues before, agent, a digital agency in, in Hamburg uh, several years before that. So, so we knew each other. So that's how I got started with ministry. Back then it was called Ministry of Media. It was a digital agency, or back then it was more likely to be called a multimedia or internet agency. We went from there, started leading a deaf team. To make a long story short, eventually we were preparing to, to buy ourselves out of a group situation we had been in for six years in 2011, about 2012. And that's when I decided to uh, become one of the owners and uh, one of the managers of the company, which I did not, never had on my, my career plan before. That was uh, a big decision. And it's basically uh, because I wanted to really showed that organizations can be done differently. And you quickly found, it seems, that as you were understanding the types of folks that you had, their particular skills, the changing nature of the market, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, even just the development side of things, that you were going to have to do some things differently. What were the sort of the, the leading indicators that you saw at that point? You know, we were in digital from the very beginning. There's so much going on. I started making websites and when I was a student, uh, it was 95, 96, and uh, you wouldn't recognize any of you know, that kind of stuff that we did back then. And you, well, some of it you would. You're looking back on the server. Some of that hasn't changed much. But there's been so much change going on. How we help clients on, on that side, 
very early obvious that we just can't come in and tell the clients, yeah, do this and then everything will be fine. We need to work together. And we need to work together in the teams, you know, the designers and the developers and the project managers can't, you know, it's not, it's not a factory work anymore. You know, you don't, somebody thinks something up and the, somebody else builds it and somebody else tests, tests it. Agile was coming up as a topic, you know, came out in 2001 with the Agile Man- Manifesto. And about 2006, seven is about when we started really thinking about agility and how does that work. I think we were very fortunate in hindsight that the, the typical Agile tools and tool sets and mythologies didn't fit for an agency setting. So we had to start looking more into the principles of the whole thing. What does it mean? What does involvement mean? What does a commitment mean? You know, how can we get the different disciplines to work together? It kind of went from there. And then after 2012, when we were on our own, before that, we weren't completely, you know, we had, we were part of this other group. And so we had a lot of uh, conflicts with the classical, uh, digital, classical agency setting weren't used to this new kind of stuff. When we were on our own and we were starting to grow, then the time came where we could really start looking at not just trying to get people to work into this narrowly across silos, which they basically were, you know, the development team and the designers and the project managers and creative text people, people doing concept and all that, and, you know, sitting apart from each other and mixing it up each week looking at who can do what and work which with uh, which project fix teams out of all this and while we're at it let's look into self-organization because can figure out everything they need to do for their clients on their own uh, that was the idea it was a lot harder than just that but it was a, a long learning journey after that and it was great so how do you how do you help people connect you, you know you you've, you've talked a lot about meaning and purpose and we aren't factory floors anymore and no one just wants to assemble the, you know, the rotor assembly on the car. Um, how do you, how did you take that transformation in terms of delivering the work and connect it with something that would help you have a longer term vision in the minds of the employees? I'm not sure what you mean with longer term vision. You mean for, for the whole company? Maybe I'd rephrase it. How did you look at it from the employee's perspective around career development? Right, how they could look at this as as a long term career and not just, hey, I'm gonna, you know, be your front end guy for a little while and then I'm gonna go expand myself somewhere else later. Career turns out to be a big topic, and this was also a learning for me. When we, when we start building organizations like like this, where it's about allowing people to grow, that was one of our core values as well, or our core motivators as well, that we are able to develop and flourish uh, together. It opens up a lot of possibilities for people to find out new things that they want to do. But what we lose along the way, if we don't compensate it for some somehow, is a typical career path of my next step would be this, my next step would be this. I mean, my opinion, this could be a lot more fulfilling without, you know, having to go into a management position in order to progress, find different ways to progress. But we are also social animals and we want people to know that we are progressing so that is a difficult one in situations like this it's it's great for i'm going to learn new skill i want to go to a different team we had that several times with people because we had different kinds of teams not all teams did the same kind of things we had a film team and we had a team that was more for online advertising and 
potentially also other fields that were going to open up. And somebody would say, you know, I, you know, I want to go, you know, in this area. And if it made sense for everybody, then that was possible. And to also to think of new things that may, might make sense for the market that we wouldn't have thought about before. But we lost people also who were unsatisfied without be, well, having this ladder to climb up. It's a balancing act. Where, where do we go? And we have to learn along the way as well. That's one of the things I talk, talk about or what we address when we're talking about humans in an organization. We, are, we tend to talk about behaviors and especially the behaviors we don't like or don't want. What we need to understand is that there's, this, there's a reason behind, behind behaviors. At least it makes sense for the person at that time in the context, even if we don't understand it. And there are individual uh, needs, like some people work better at different hours than other people do. But there are also basic human needs that we all have. And the first step is also to understand them for ourselves, you know, not just about understanding other people's understanding ourselves as well. And this can tell us a lot or help us a bit understand about uh, why people are acting the way we are. You know, we had things happen that we just didn't expect at all. When we made the self-organizing teams, we thought, well, we have some natural leader personalities in this in these teams. We don't need to have formal leadership. And it wasn't too long that we had a group of people from all these teams who came together, which I'm really thankful for, and called uh, the four owners and together and, and said, this isn't working. You guys have to tell us what to do. Well, the whole idea is that we don't tell everybody what to do anymore. But, okay, something is going on here. You know, and after, and now I understand better that it's also about security. You know, we have basic needs of feeling safe, being accepted, and having influence. And we were trying to give people influence and acceptance. They was pretty good in our teams, trying to give them influence. But they were in a new situation. They didn't feel safe. So they weren't able to, to move on out of that. You, you said one of my absolute favorite things is you think about leadership and you think about, you know, developing people. You get to a certain part of your career. That is your job, right? Selection and development and, and, and helping people get what they want. And, and it's an important part is to start, I think, with self-awareness, right? What are you good at? What do you like? What aren't you good at? What, what things bring you a, a sense of fulfillment? Where do you think you really, you know, provide your own sense of value? But it's really hard because, you know, certainly on the American side, I'm interested in your perspective as an American in Europe. You know, the, the American side is, yeah, 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 keep quiet and, you know, be part of the machine. And the European side is a little bit more in the, you know, let's look at the person and let's make sure the person has that, um, you know, feeling of contribution. What, what it, how do you help people stimulate that self-awareness so you can then have that second conversation about, what they want to be when they grow up and how you get there. The, the simple answer is connection. One of the most crucial things at all. It is the question itself, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? It's so hard because there's, there's no one answer. So you need to go into dialogue with the people. You need to talk to them. But of course, like you said, you need to, you need to start with yourself. You know, what do I want? What do I want to do? Is this the right thing for, for, for me? That's a bit of the problem we have, you know, Peter Principle kind of thing. You know, you, people get promoted to be manager or take on leadership role because they think, you know, I'm not getting any further if I don't do this. But maybe it's not their thing. Maybe they're not really prepared to be there for others and to help others 
grow and learn and do their best job possible. Maybe they really just want to do their own job. You know, that's a crucial point to, to decide. And, you know, do I really want to, to take on this role? For a while, and the answer to meeting we had with a lot of the teams, we established leadership roles within, within the teams and worked for two years with these leaders to define together what, is, what do we mean by leadership? And we defined this together. And to be honest, a lot of what I think and what I learned and what I read went into this. So I had a big influence on, on this. But it wasn't, okay, this is leadership, but let's you know, look at this together and define this uh, together. And what we also did was say, this is not a permanent role and it's not a, a disciplinary role. But, you know, what is leadership for us? And it was exactly this definition you know, of facilitating, facilitating the team, helping the team. And maybe also an aspect of looking at the, the big picture, which might, which might answer your question from before. And it's also completely normal when people and teams are doing the work, what they love to do, hopefully, and are building stuff there in a tunnel vision. And that's perfectly okay because we need that too, this focus on the job. But they lose track maybe of what the you know our big goal is. And that was also a leadership aspect that we put into this role to say, you know, I in the big picture and remind the people as well. It was not completely easy for the people as well. Some felt like it was like, you know, kind of a promotion and it is a responsibility. And it did come that we had people who said, um, you know, I would like to, I have other things going on right now in my life, or I have a feeling that I'm not good in this role and I would like to uh, give it up again. And it was very hard for them at first because we had this idea in our heads that we're, de- we're, we're being degraded again. Yeah, once you get it and you give it up, you'll never get it back, probably. Yeah, and so this is, that's a learning for all of us. How do you, in those particular cases, you know, that leadership is, is leading in its direction, uh, but it's also accountability and ownership. So how do you bring that in that more transitory leadership approach where, you know, you're the team leader at this point, you may not be for the next project, and you have to, um, you have to deliver, right? There's some vision of what success looks like inside the big picture. So how do you help them deliver uh, on the on the outcome side, uh, as well as, you know, keeping the, the purpose and the fulfillment of the team at the same time? Well, first of all, I'm a big proponent of team responsibility. And in another article, I've made this a lot more concrete. Writing the article helped me also to, to formulate this uh, more clearly for myself as well. I say, and I t- make this a bit radical on purpose. Uh, I say the team is responsible for the outcome and not the the leader of a team. Uh, as you know, probably, I don't only work with my own teams now. I also help other organizations. So I see very different kinds of setups and different kinds of products that uh, are being built. And what I see again and again is that managers have no choice to be a good leader because of these constraints on the outside or because of these pressures on the outside to look at the results, to be responsible for what's coming out of, of the team, which they transfer then to the team. If a manager or a leader is only, only concentrating on the results of the team, he cannot, or she, sorry, cannot connect with the team members and cannot take on these other roles of helping 
people grow, helping them to work together, co-create, and do the best possible job they can. And if we do that, we can expect that the team really will do the best that they possibly can, and they all come to will get better instead of people playing safe and just doing whatever they have to do. So that, that's, that's very sort of unlike traditional management philosophy. Like, you know, when Steve Jobs says you need a directly responsible individual because, you know, if you don't have one person uh, in that team who, uh, who truly owns it, who's accountable for it, you'll end up with free riders, right? You'll end up with people. Now, some of that you can fix by selection and making sure you have the right people and, you know, that they're internally motivated and all those, you know, really important parts of management. But but how do you then make sure that, I guess maybe the question is, how long does it take for that, that team to find itself and to, to do its best work? And how do you know that they are? Well, somebody's going to know. Somebody's going to figure this out. You know, it's a different on scale. We, at the tops, before, before COVID came, we were about 70 people. And you, you know, and if you have larger sizes, then you're going to have to have different structures, uh, of course, but hopefully a structure where people feel at home in, there's a sense between the teams of what's going on. You know what's what's going on. You have ways to figure out if your customers are happy. You you know these kind of things. Just to clarify uh, a little bit, you know, if you know, a leader in a team is not devoid of responsibility. I'm not advocating for a leader to necessarily just be a coach. I think it is very necessary in all aspects to differentiate between different kinds of things. But in this case, it's especially it's between relationship and content. And content is another word for you know, what we're producing, what is being made, the product, whether it's the service. You know, it's, that's the, the content. On the other side is the relationship with the people. And usually, traditionally in, in management, we, or in business, and especially in the industrial age, we focus only on the content. And still today, you know, we have this focus, you know, let's, you know, this, it's, you know, not, let's not talk about any kind of thing that's, you know, extremely put touchy feely, but, you know, let's, let's get to the work. And that's the kind of stuff that we can do very well online, by the way. So that's why home office or, or working remotely has worked so well in the last couple of years for that aspect. But what is the leader responsible for? He's responsible for the team, but not for the, results that the team, the content that it produces, the whole team is responsible for that, which also includes the leader somehow. I think it's it's a very sort of utopian is probably too strong a word, but if <laughs> if, if if you really look at and, and you really truly believe that everyone is going to bring their best self, right? And they all share the motivation for, you know, quote, success, right? Regardless of what that might mean. That is the ideal way, right? It is truly egalitarian. We are all in this together. We win together. We lose together. If if you fall, I'll pick you up. Like we're really going to do this. And I think I think that would be the ideal scenario, right? Where we're clearly focused on what it will take to move the business forward, because that's why we're here. We do have uh, requirements and outcomes, you know, for for the shareholders, regardless of how you're structured. But you know, your people are your most important part. And we, we started at the top of this by like, you know, how do you how do you bring the humans along? It's an important way to think about it. And it's even more important to be able to do it in practice. And I think very few companies actually do. I think a lot of people talk about that. Right. And that's why we've got, 
agile and a thousand different derivations of these self-forming and self-healing and and delivering team approaches. And I don't think anybody does it really very well, in my experience. Well, I don't think anybody should do it very well because I think we have to learn and keep learning along the way. And, um, and, and just let me say, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's utopian. And I think it's also very hard for us to deeply understand a lot of this. And that's why it needs a lot of practice. You know, as well, there's a difference between knowing it in your head and having it internalized and, and really working this way. And from my experience, teams will take care of themselves. People will take care of each other in the teams when they start to care about each other. It still doesn't work if somebody's getting lost and nobody is, can perform all the time. No, you know, there are always going to be times when are able to do less and there are times when you're able to do more. And that's something also that needs to be, to, to be understood in a, in a team and how, you know, how can we help each other out. Now, I've experienced this. Our teams are, are like this. They help each other. Basically, put the decisions in the team setting. That's the most important instance. So no, it's not about just about the individuals and everybody can do whatever they want. That's a misunderstanding. It's about finding the best way for the team and the individuals to do their work together. So the work is still in the in front, but it doesn't mean that taking care of the people is against the work. It's the opposite. And if something's really not working or somebody's not working in a team and the team can't take care of it, that's what other people are there for. The leader of the team or the owners or the managers uh, of the greater unit, however you're built for that, some, it's got, it still has to be these instances where we, need, we can help people out there that are struggling. If a team is not doing so well, you know, I've, I've worked with one of our, our teams for almost a year. They were struggling, so I went in and, and helped them out of them finding themselves becoming more of a team. This takes time. It takes time and it takes work. And it's not easy and it's not, and it's never going to work perfectly. Of course, you know, the, the theory, the model is part of it, but the praxis of it is, is something that has to be worked on daily. Everything works perfectly when you put it on a PowerPoint, right? And then you actually have to make it real. Exactly. So how do you bring along a larger organization when they... They see a transformation required, whether that's a new market or a different way to deliver or responding to intense competition, regardless of the reason to do it. How do you help them reset in their minds the, the power of these human teams in order to deliver on that? Yeah, large organization is, does it, I, I have to admit, that's a bit out of my experience working on a large scale so far with larger organizations. I've been asked to help mostly with smaller areas of the organization and that works the same way it works it worked with us oftentimes as far as the organization internally goes they've they've already at least here in europe it's pretty popular now you know self-organization organizing teams was already popular in the 90s it's nothing nothing new but right now in the last few years it's um, really taking off here and often you have a situation that teams have been been declared as self-organizing but they don't have the tools they need to, to really be self-organizing. And so I work also with, with, uh, with leaders, also in coaching situations of, you know, how, how do we deal with this? What can, what can we do? Get the team out of a certain mess without making them feel like 
well, you know, we said you're self-organizing, but now we're going to come in and tell you what to do. So steering around these kind of human aspects or finding new ways, for me, it's also a lot about really understanding. Understanding first and then practicing and experiencing so that the understanding uh, goes deeper. But understanding first that there's more aspects to it than we think. And I think I'm uh, absolutely positive that too often we look at only a team or we only look at leaders and individuals or we only look at the structures that we're building. And we need to look at all of them, all of these aspects that makes it more complex and it makes it harder to to understand but it's the only effective way to go when we're looking at how how we're building organizations we have to look at organizational design but but also how people are you know we're not machines that's also an illusion or wishful thinking maybe from uh, from the last century that humans can be fixed because we're machines or you know, we have to take all that into account. And if humans are not machines or not objects, then what are organizations? They are also not completely machines, also living organizations. So yeah, a lot of understanding what's it about and um, also understanding that it's not an extreme from one to the other. You know, I've heard that a lot. Okay, if we do new kinds of working, we have no rules anymore. And that's absolutely not true. We just do rules differently. We need rules. We need frameworks. We just want to be able to adjust them. And that's one example. And we tend to, when we make a change, we tend to go from one extreme to another. Okay, now you're self-organizing. I don't tell you anything anymore. Yeah, just do it by yourself. Yeah, good luck. And uh, it's not working. Uh, why is that? Uh, you know, people are, the people aren't good enough then apparently. And that's usually not the case. It, it's amazing that, you know, you, you go down a path in terms of this idea of transformation and, and all too often we, we live inside the same constraints we use to govern ourselves for the last 50 years and then we expect different results, right? And I think your ideas here um, are things that people have to consider as they look. And, and, and I'm a believer that big companies are just typically a collection of smaller ones. And so the, you know, the principles can still be effective, whether you're talking about a product line or a department, a division, or, or a view for the whole company. So you've been, you've been incredibly generous with your time today. I appreciate it. My last question is, um, is, is slightly more personal. When you have uh, provided leadership and, and created a full, uh, fulfilling uh, experience for a, for that team and you go home, what do you like to listen to? Yeah, going home is, is also kind of a strange concept right now in the last couple of years because you know, I just had to find a place. I, I've ended the day uh, during, uh, during COVID pandemic uh, situations where I spent a lot of time working at home, a lot with just turning on a, a first-person shooter <laughs> and, and just doing something completely mindless for, for a while. I do enjoy uh, once in a while listening to podcasts that vary, nothing constantly, but once in a while something from Freakonomics or from Shane Parrish. Um, or right now I'm, I'm, I've been listening to a, to a German podcast with an interesting format it's from Zeit, which might be known as a, a, magazine, uh, a newspaper, but it's from the Zeit publishers. They've done some in English, so it might be quite interesting. My format for my, uh, my, my podcast format is also very short. Theirs is, there's no end <laughs> and there's 
can definitely recommend them. Uh, Yuval Harar, you talk to them as one in English for three, almost four hours. The guest decides when it ends and sometimes they go eight hours. So I thought it was also very fascinating. But, so I answered your question in a very long way. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. That was fantastic. I enjoyed the time today. I wish you and your team all the best in, uh, in changing the world. Thank you very much. And thanks for, for letting me talk so much. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from my conversation with David. Here are a few things you can take away too. First, for the ministry group, helping their people grow as individuals was an important value from the very beginning. Creating a culture that champions growth, learning, and development for everyone, that agency enabled their employees to explore their interests and really flourish alongside one another. Second, in addition to driving growth and learning for all their teams, all humans have a basic need to feel safe and accepted in their community. David talks about how helping employees feel secure in their roles provided a solid foundation for trust and creative exploration. Third, as Socrates would say, know thyself. Always be clear about your own motivations. Many people will make crucial decisions about their careers without really taking time to reflect on what they really want from their work life. Learning more about your own goals, ambitions, and preferences will ultimately set you up for greater success wherever you find yourself on your career. Fourth, one of the key qualities of a great leader is perspective. Effective leadership requires the ability to take a 360-degree view to the company's goals to really get a sense of the big picture and then make decisions from a broader vantage point. You're creating space for your team to focus on what they do best. Fifth, finally, whether you're the leader of a team or not, it's crucial that we all take ownership of our own unique roles and responsibilities. David believes the team is ultimately responsible for the outcome of a project, not the leader. So it's important to build a culture that encourages individual responsibility, but also a collaborative and supportive work environment. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.